We are going to dive into Matthew 21. We are going to be jumping into basically the last major section of uh, Matthew's gospel. Okay, and so the last major section of Matthew's gospel, the last week of Jesus' life, his passion and his suffering. And just as FYI, we're going to be taking a break from Matthew and the last week of Jesus' life and then looking at the book of James um, for the summertime because it would be a great thing for our UMTs. That's what we'd be doing. But let's turn over to Matthew 21, first 11 verses, all right? And why don't we go ahead and just stand as I read our text to us. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the, ground, on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. All right, we can be seated. All right, so as we talk about this idea uh, or this um, story here about the um, triumphal entry, as it's often called, one of the, the concepts I was thinking about is entrance, all right? So, and I entitled this The King's Entrance. But, you know, when we think about entering somewhere, how we enter usually says something about who we are, right? It usually says something about um, maybe what we care about or what we want people to think uh, we are about. Maybe it's a, a dinner party or maybe it's a um, concert or a friend, right? Say, for example, some of us who love to... Uh, show up early, or I would say on time, uh, to things. My wife and I, we go back and forth on this. Early to me is on time. Late is on time for her. And, uh, and, and we go back and forth on this. But how we enter says something about us, right? So if you show up early, a lot of times it shows that you are organized, right? Shows that you are on time and in control. And when you show up late to things, sometimes it means you're frazzled and sometimes disorganized. And uh, maybe hurting the kids, just trying to get them somewhere on time to the event. But needless to say, our entrances say a lot uh, about us to other people. And so one thing I want to think about, just as a means of illustration, is kind of more grand entrances. And uh, think about maybe, for example, our fascination with celebrities and the red carpet, right? Um, Maybe not our own, but maybe our cultures, right? It's all about standing out and making a what? A lasting impression, right? And so how is this done? Well, it's usually done through maybe what you're wearing or sadly what you're not wearing. Or maybe it's who you enter with. Maybe it's somebody famous or somebody wealthy or powerful and you enter with that person on the red carpet. 
Or maybe it's how you enter, right? Maybe a particular way in which you walk or, I don't know, run. I don't really follow the red carpet much, but um, whatever they do, um, how they enter. Um, one thing I was reminded of when I was um, preparing for this is I used to go to this, um, the best way to describe it is like a Christian Woodstock, and it's called Creation, and it's in the, uh, I think, in the country kind of, of, of PA, of Pennsylvania, and um, tons of Christian bands come out for a week, or yeah, a week, and we all camp out on this farm, and they have big concerts all week, right? And you're just hanging out, camping, and having these concerts. And I think maybe the year before I was um, there, uh, people, some of the bands came up on motorcycles, or some rappelled down from helicopters, and, and, but it was all about their grand entrance into this thing. I remember sitting on one, actually, Father's Day uh, church. It was down in Myrtle Beach. It was a Father's Day Sunday service, and the guy literally rode up the stage to preach on the motorcycle for Father's Day. It was very, very loud. Um, anyways, our entrance, it says something about us, right? And it communicates something. Well, today we're going to look at King Jesus' entry uh, into Jerusalem. And here's the main point that we're going to be looking at. And it's this. We must each recognize and respond to Jesus as the true Messiah King, either now or in eternity. And so what we're going to be looking at is basically our response to Jesus and his entry into Jerusalem. And we're going to see this through three, uh, pl- three ways, or three parts. First, we're going to look at the Messiah displayed, verses uh, 1 through 7. All right, so as I read moments ago, uh, Jesus is traveling uh, to Jerusalem. They're getting very, very close. We know where Jerusalem is, where Jesus is going to die. Um, one of the texts says that he sets his face to Jerusalem. He knows what he must do. He knows what's going to happen. And his grand entrance is, is going to occur here in Jerusalem. But just outside of Jerusalem, he stops. And he sends two of his disciples into the t- a village to basically fetch his ride. Right? He's going to ride in on a donkey and on a colt. Now, it might be helpful to think of this first uh, seven verses as kind of like a pregame show. It's not the main event, um, but there are some important ways in which Jesus, he shows us that he is the true Messiah King. And so we're going to talk about these ways in which basically how, how he acquires his ride and then also how he fulfills a promise. It shows us that he is the true King. He is the Messiah. And so first, let's look at basically the way he gets his ride into Jerusalem. And I think about this scenario for a minute. Jesus tells two of his, his guys, two of his disciples, to go and get this colt or go and get this donkey and bring them to him. And he basically says, hey, look, if anyone bothers you, if anyone says anything, you tell them that the Lord needs it and you should be good to go. And so these instructions are pretty clear. They're pretty you know, black and white to the point. They're pretty unwavering. And I think it shows us that Jesus is in control of the situation. He cares about the details. He knows the details. He's planned them out in his head, even to the smallest one. And, and there's kind of a question here whether uh, some of the commentators kind of bounce around whether it's like Jesus, did he go ahead and make prior preparations? Or did, is it some kind of supernatural event where you know, he just says, he, maybe he had a dream or something like that, and he says, look, this guy's going to come to you and, and ask for a colt, and you give it to him. But basically, the, one of the commentators, he just kind of brings it back to the main point. He says this, regardless of whether prior preparations were made, the emphasis is on divine control. And so what it kind of shows us is that Jesus got this. 
He's got this all under control. The whole event to the smallest detail. And it reminds us, and I, th- I think it's a good reminder for us, that Jesus is in control of all situations. He's the king over all the universe. And every, even the smallest details of our lives. And he cares about those smallest details. You know, some call it sovereignty. Some call it God being in control. But his plan always succeeds. You know, even in the, diff- the face of, of hard circumstances, or maybe a, a job loss, or maybe a, um, a, a something happening inside of your family, we are reminded that God is in control. One of the... Um, Christian hip-hop artist that I listen to, he says, he says a line like this. He said, some call it sovereign will, but all I know is, you, is you're the boss. All I know is you're the boss. And that's a good way for us to think about God. He is the sovereign Lord. He is the boss. He is the one in control. And so we can come to him even in those times of trouble. Well, secondly, Jesus kind of shows us that he is the true Messiah King by fulfilling a promise that he made a long, long time ago. Verses 4 and 5 says this. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So what Matthew is doing here is he's, he's going back to a promise, a promise that was made a long, long time ago. And we read that at the beginning of our service from the book of Zechariah. And Zechariah 9. And Matthew is saying the way in which Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem, that is the way on a donkey. That's the way that was planned long before time. So say even to the, the detail of a donkey. That is what he's going to ride on into Jerusalem. That was predicted years upon years upon years before. And that was not just a prediction, but it was a promise that Jesus made. And, you know, as I was studying this, I was asking myself the question, was it normal for kings to ride in on a donkey? Is that like kind of a normal way for someone to ride in triumphantly into a city? And, um, and one commentator, he kind of points this out in a real helpful way, kind of a humorous way. We talked earlier about how a man's transportation reveals a lot about who we are. So, for example, he says if we drive a minivan... It's probably a dad, right, or a mom, you know, carrying a lot of kids. You don't see many single people driving minivans. Um, But what if it's a a red sports car? Well, it's probably a dad or or a husband in a midlife crisis. And so he kind of points out all these different things, saying our ride and what it is kind of tells us who we are. But he says this, he says, but a donkey. Kings and generals ride war horses to rain blows on their foes. But no one rains down blows from a donkey unless the foes are slow-moving midgets. Later on, he continues. He cites the prophecy that says the king comes gently on a donkey, but he skips the prophecy of a rule that extends from sea to sea. This suggests that Jesus knows he will bring peace to the nations and he will rule the earth, but that he does not bring peace now or to this crowd which is so full of people who do not truly know him. They do not know that he will bring peace to the nations in a few days by dying on the cross and rising from death. There is something missing from their praise. And so we see here that in one sense it's not normal that a king would ride in on a donkey, but we see also that it was deliberate. 
that Jesus chose that long, long ago, and he's fulfilling a promise that he would come riding on a donkey to show a certain part of who he is as a king. And so I think even here it's just important for us to see that our God is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. Our God is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. And how important is that for us who maybe ask the question, can we really trust him? I think at all times in our life, each and every one of us has asked the question, can we really trust Jesus? Is he going to do what he says he's going to do? Is he who he says he is? And I think here is just another place in which we can come to the scriptures and say, yes, our God is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. Of course he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And this is the way in which he displays himself as the true Messiah King that he is. And so next we're going to look at basically kind of two responses from the crowds. The first, the first response is how the crowds, they rejoice in King Jesus. They rejoice in King Jesus. And so going back to our story, Jesus, he basically tells them to go and do this. They come back and uh, they prepare the donkey and the colt to be able to ride into Jerusalem. And as they approach, the crowd responds in kind of two peculiar ways. And the first one is kind of describing the crowd's actions. In verse 8, you know, we know this well. We talk about this on Palm Sunday. The crowds do what? They spread their cloaks on the ground, and they, they cut branches from the trees, and they lay them down on the road. Now, I don't know much about celebrities, like I said earlier, and red carpet and all that kind of stuff, but you don't really see when a famous, you know, a famous celebrity comes onto the red carpet, you don't see people laying down their coats. You don't see people cutting down city tree branches and, and putting them right down there, right? It's not something we see. It kind of sounds odd to us, but not really to first century people. Doing this showed kind of a recognition of royalty, of kingliness, of, of a position in society. They are recognizing Jesus as the king that he is, the king that was foretold long, long time ago. And they are doing these things to show that he is the king. This was a, a thing of respect the picture that Matthew is painting, according to one of the commentators, is, is that of a royal procession. Think of a king that you've seen in a movie and has he processes into a town, right? Maybe it's upon a great um, a steed, a great horse, and he has a procession behind him. That's what, kind of what's going on here in the text. Well, the, the, the crowd, they also do something else. They use their words. So they don't only use their actions to show that he's the king, but they use their words. Verse 9 says this. This is what they're shouting. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And these, we know, are shouts of praise. They're shouts of adoration, shouts of joy. Because they're thinking that this is the one who is coming to deliver them, to save them. That's why they're saying Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna is defined by most as a, as a shout of praise and a shout of adoration. It's kind of like sitting at an NBA playoff game and saying, you know, take your favorite player, whether it's like LeBron James or Steph Curry, and saying, you're the man. You're awesome. You're doing great. That's what they're doing here. They are shouting praise at the son of David because they recognize that this is the Messiah that's, that was foretold a long, long time ago. They were waiting for a Messiah, the Jews of old. But also they had kind of some wrong perceptions of what that Messiah would do. 
or how he would bring about his kingdom. Let me read you this one quote. When they acclaim the son of David, that title, they are thinking of a king like David to fight and destroy the foes of Israel. And remember what Matthew, the writer, is trying to do here. He's trying to show a predominantly Jewish audience that Jesus is the true Messiah King. That's what he's trying to do in his whole gospel account. He's trying to say, this is the king. This is the Messiah that was long foretold. He is your king. And the Jews, they're starting to recognize that. And maybe at this point, as, as they're, they're screaming Hosanna and they're screaming praises to God, they're putting the branches down, you kind of think, man, they're getting it, right? They finally got it. They finally got, after Jesus' three years of public ministry, that he is the Messiah King. But then we got to say, eh, it's close, but it's no cigar. Close, they're so close. See, the crowd's response, they recognize in part that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And at least in part they're getting it. In part they're, they're praising God. In part, they are rejoicing. In part, they are praising the king and and giving him the entrance that he deserves. But it's only in part. There's not a full recognition there. Howard Voss says this, From the passages in the four Gospels, it is clear that the crowd hailed Jesus as the son of David and the king of Israel, and thus extended to him a degree of messianic recognition. But this understanding was minimal. And if we think about Matthew's gospel as a story with a beginning and an end, it's kind of like this is a false crescendo, kind of like a false climax in which the story is building and building and building up to Jesus coming into Jerusalem, the king. He's coming into Jerusalem. He's finally going to do it. And then kind of the the downturn, right, of the last week of Jesus' life. It's a false crescendo, a false climax. Kind of like when a, when a, when a batter is at bat and he, he hits that ball and he just wails it. And it's going up, up, up. And you think it's going to be a home run. And all of a sudden, at the last minute, the outfielder stretches his hand right over the gate and catches that ball. And everybody's like, oh. You know, a false crescendo. And this one's for my wife. I told her about it earlier. So she already knows. But it's kind of another, another example of this is maybe the feeling of finally being caught up with laundry. Finally being caught up with the laundry after doing it all week. And you're going around for one last check. And you're going around making sure that you've done all the laundry. And you get to that one last room and, oh, man, there's another basket that I forgot. You know, false climax, false crescendo. You're all up here and then all of a sudden, down. That's kind of what's going on here. From here, things will go down, down, and down to the darkest hour of Jesus' death. And the crowd is not getting it. Things don't get better, they just get worse. And as we turn to the the last part of our passage, we kind of see one other response to Jesus from the crowds. We see the Messiah questioned. Verses 10 and 11. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from the Nazareth of Galilee. You know, this is normal, right? This is a normal reaction. Say, for example, we were downtown here in Atlantic City on Atlantic Ave, and we saw a crowd being stirred up, and we saw someone coming down the middle of the road. We would probably ask, who is that? 
Or maybe we're visiting um, Philadelphia, we're in Center City, and there's a big crowd, a big parade coming, and we don't know what's going on. We would ask, who is this? And Jerusalem, the text says, is being stirred up. One definition is, is um, as causing a violent movement or disturbance. Or when it's talking about a population or a populace, it means to incite or to move or to cause an uproar. Think about it this way. When you were a kid, maybe, or maybe you can think of another kid, that they were curious about a beehive, right? They see a beehive and they want to just poke it, right? And so they, get, they finally get the courage to go over to that beehive and poke it. And, and it, and it kind of causes a stirring up, if you want to say, right? It causes uh, uh, all the bees to go crazy and to start stinging you. And you run for your life as a kid, right? That's kind of the idea. Jerusalem is being stirred up because Jesus is coming in on this grand entrance. And you know what? As this crowd is coming in, the same people that said, you know, Hosanna to the son of David. Now what's going on as the crowd, other crowd asks, who is this? What do they say? They say Jesus is a prophet. Now is Jesus a prophet? Yes, he is a prophet. But is he only a prophet? Or is he just a prophet? No. One of the pastors I looked up, he helps us here. He says Jesus is a prophet, but he's more than a prophet. He's more than a prophet. He's not just a prophet. And so this crowd who we thought was just getting it, they were getting who Jesus is. And then all of a sudden they all ask, who is this? And they say, oh, he's a prophet, which he is in part, but he's more than that. It shows that their understanding is only in part. It's lacking. It's not complete. And if we were only to stick with Matthew's version of the Gospels here, I think we would be left to assume that they're just simply interested, asking the question, who is this? But if we turn over to Luke 19, if you have your Bibles, Luke 19 kind of gives us another angle to the story. Verses 39 and 40, Luke's account says that there were Pharisees there who told Jesus basically, look, you need to call out your disciples. You need to tell them to be quiet. But why would they say that? Why would they tell Jesus, shut them up? Tell them to be quiet. And I think it's because they were worshiping him as the true Messiah King that he is, and the Pharisees thought that that was out of line. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They didn't believe that he was the King. But verse 40, as I read it, was real interesting to me and real powerful. Jesus says to the Pharisees, if the people didn't shout my praises, the rocks would cry them out. The rocks would cry them out. Because he's basically saying, Jesus must be praised. Jesus must be magnified. He must be recognized and glorified by us. And so what Jesus does is he basically, even though they called him out, he turns it around and calls them back out and says, look, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. The crowds are praising me. That's what they're supposed to be doing. I am their king. And even if they didn't do it, the stones would cry out. And I think for us, this is a good reminder that we were created to glorify God. We were created to sing his praises. That's why we were created. We were were created to glorify God in everything that we do, whether it's work or play or it's hanging out with our kids or it's watching TV, or whether it's work. I mean, whatever it is, we were created to glorify and sing the praises of Jesus. And I think one of the, the lessons here from Luke 19 is that, you know, for us, don't let the rocks cry out. We, uh, let us do it. Let us cry out the praises. Don't let the rocks cry out the praises of Jesus. Because that's how we're supposed to respond. 
And, and so we see here in Matthew 21, it's been quite an entrance for the one true king. The true king, Jesus. It's better than any kind of red carpet entrance that we could ever see or ever observe or be a part of. Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And so I want to just ask maybe a few questions in application as we close for you guys to think about today. What is the cry of your heart this morning? What is the response of your heart to King Jesus? Is it that like the one of the believing and rejoicing crowd? Is your heart rejoicing in Jesus today? Is it rejoicing in him as your king? Who's got the whole world in his hands, as the children's song says. Is it rejoicing? And if it is, praise God. And continue to do so even when circumstances are difficult. Even when people in your family are sick. Even when job stuff looks scarce. Even when finances are tough, we learn to praise him and to trust him as our king. Maybe the other question is, is your cry, is your response to Jesus like that of the questioning crowd? The questioning stirred up crowd in Jerusalem, like the Pharisees. Maybe, maybe you haven't settled in your heart that Jesus is the true king of not only the whole world, but of your life. Maybe you haven't settled that in your heart. My question is, what's holding you back? What's holding you back? from trusting in Jesus as the true King and Lord of your life? It's a question worth thinking about. I want to end by just reading us one more quote. It's a little bit long, but I think it kind of summarizes a good response to this passage. And it says this, If Jesus is King, we must accept Him as He comes to us in this age. While Jesus comes on a, ho- on a war horse on the last day, Until then, he comes gently on a donkey. He saves not by slaying his foes, but by dying for them. His goal is not simply to gain a claim, but for us to bow and serve and live for him. Because we love to do so. So we should receive him as king, as our spiritual leader, as lord of history, both now and forever. And I think that's just a real fitting way for us to close For us to close this passage, for us to respond to the true king by trusting in him and bowing to him as our spiritual leader. And so as we um, close our sermon, uh, we're just going to, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to take some time to prepare for the Lord's Supper. Um, And if one of the ladies could go get Katie and just let her know we're going to do the Lord's Supper, I think she wanted to be in here um, when we do that. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. God, even, even in a, a distracted service, it doesn't matter. You know, we're here to worship you. We want our kids to worship you. We want them to grow up hearing your word preached and hearing your words sung. We want them to, to see us praising your name, whether it's in a church service, Lord, or whether it's home when we're doing housework or, um, or out and about visiting family, whatever we're doing. We want them to see. We want them to catch it that we love you, Jesus, and that we submit and surrender to you as our king. And so we gladly welcome our children into this presence here today to see that. God, I pray that we would have been fed this morning as well. 
Maybe it's just a small nugget that we're taking away about your sovereignty or about your, your goodness or you being in control, you being a promise keeper. Maybe it's some, our, our response that you're convicting us of today. King Jesus, we pray that you would please be merciful to us as we continue on in our worship. pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Peter Eck, Assistant Pastor at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. New City's Sunday Sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New City's Sunday Sermon.